important. Well, as you can see here, we're in a series called Resolve. We're in January, and it's the whole resolutions. What are we resolving to do? And last week, if you weren't here, I'll catch you up. We all resolved to do the same thing this next year. Said so if there's one thing that, that we're going to do, if we're going to resolve to do one thing this next year, let's resolve to, to follow God. And so we all wrote and said, I, I resolve to follow God. And so that is us as a church. Collectively, we are resolving to follow God throughout 2017 and obviously beyond. But what I want you to notice today is that's easier said than done, isn't it? It was really easy to write a post-it and plaster it up on, on these boards. What's difficult is actually walking that through. And what I hope you hear out of God's word this morning is we can't do this by ourselves. We can't resolve to follow God and follow God all on our own. We need people with us because we all get in binds. We all hit problems. We all hit roadblocks. And, and if we're trying to carry that on our own, we are going to totally miss it. So that's why God gave us not just his son. His son saves us. Jesus saves us. But he gave us the church so that we don't have to walk through it alone. A friend of mine is what I would call the nice guy in my friend group. You all have a nice guy, right? There's, everybody's got a label in your circle of friends. This one friend of mine is known as the nice guy. He will go out of his way for anybody. He would do anything for anyone, really without ever being asked. You know that you can count on him no matter what. He is just that nice guy. Almost bothers you at how nice he is because you know you will never match up or live up to him. And uh, he was telling me a story, of course, of his niceness. And uh, he was driving along the road, and he acts differently uh, when he passes by somebody stranded on the road than I do. When I pass somebody on the road, I pray for them. When he passes them, he actually stops, gets outs, and helps them. And so he was doing this one time, and he sees a guy who looked like he had run out of gas. So he pulls over, says, well, I'd be more than happy to help you. And I'm like, of course you would. That, that's exactly who you are. So he gets this stranger in his car and says, let's go get you to a gas station. So they start driving. Now, he's the nice guy. He also carries another, another label. He's also the forgetful guy. So what happened was as he's driving about a minute and a half down the road, he had failed to notice that he was also pretty low on gas. Oh, yeah. So he gets a guy off the side of the road stranded because he ran out of gas, only to then be stranded himself by running out of gas. <laughs> this poor stranger. I mean, I feel for my friend, but my, the poor stranger, like, I'm never, ever getting in somebody else's car again. <laughs> but he did. And, and so as he tells the story, he'll, he'll always say, I was like, well, what did you do? He's like, well, I had a buddy to walk to the gas station with. I'm like, well, I guess that's true. But here's, here's what you got to remember. We're all going to have problems. The issue is not how to not have problems. The issue is who do you walk through your problems with? And as much as he's a nice guy, I mean, in that situation, that was blind leading the blind. That was not very helpful. And so it's important for us to pay attention to who God has placed around us, whose lives we are in, whose lives people are, are invited into our lives so that we actually are able to do this, resolve to follow God. And when we hit those problems, those roadblocks, those issues, those crises, those tragedies, we've got somebody that's not necessarily running out of gas with us, but is able to help walk us through what's next. If you have your Bibles, head over to 2 Kings. I'll put them up on the screen for you because I know it's really easy to see in a dark theater. So I'll throw them on the screen. 2 Kings chapter 6. And let me give you a little background. You need to know the context before you really understand the text. What's happened here is this king, king of Aram, what we would know as like modern day Syria, is, is out for Israel, God's people. And so he comes up. This king has tons of ideas and, and, and attacks against Israel. But the problem is Israel keeps keeps finding out what is happening. 
And so every time the king of Aram goes after Israel, Israel seems to dodge it and knows exactly what's going on. And I want you to see the scene of how this begins to play out. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 9. The man of God, that's Elisha the prophet, as we're going to see. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king, so he was on his guard in such places. So every time the king of Aram came up with his brilliant attack plan against Israel, God would let Elisha know, here's what the king of Aram is going to do. Elisha would go to the king of Israel, said this is what the king of Aram is going to do, and then they would be able to dodge it. And so here the king is just, he's going to be all upset, obviously. Verse 11, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Because he assumes surely somebody is telling Israel our plans. How do they keep finding out time and time again? How do they know what we're planning on? His officer said in verse 12, none of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, that's the man of God, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So now he's starting to figure out, okay, this is how Israel's finding everything out. Verse 13, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. So the king of Aram finally figures out what's going on, why his plans aren't working out. He finds out where Elisha is and sends a massive army, horses and chariots, to surround this guy. This one guy in the town that he's staying in completely surround the town. They do it at night, so it would be a surprise for them in the morning. Verse 15, here's the response. That was the situation they don't know that the king of Aram has, has brought all the forces in. Here's what happens the next morning, verse 15. When the servant of the man of God, when Elijah's servant got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? Now, I think we have like the, the church version of that. I think the, there might've been a few extra words that Elisha's servant threw in there, um, but there's, there's kids in here. So, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked, put yourself in his shoes. You get up the next morning. I mean, you've been like seeing God do incredible things through your master, Elisha. And then you get up, you're stretching, you walk out. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? <laughs> you see just the entire city completely surrounded by, by, by horses and chariots. What are we going to do? We are going to have a lot of what are we going to do? Oh, no moments through this next year. Here's what Elisha says, verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his what? What's it say? Open his eyes. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked around and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire, God's horses and chariots, all around Elisha. It's a pretty fascinating story and this is really just getting started. So I'm gonna give you some homework. I want you to finish that story this week. I brought you all the way up to verse 17, go all the way through verse 23. Incredible story of how God obviously through Elisha and his servant fights for us and is present and how they get out of this mess. So there's your homework this week, because I really want to focus on just these last few verses here. There was a problem. The servant ran into a problem, and his problem was with his what? His eyes. 
That's why Elisha prayed, God, would you open his eyes? Let him see. When the servant walked out and saw the enemy all around him, that's all he could see. Oh no, what am I gonna do? I don't see how we're getting out of this, Elisha. It's just me and you, two against thousands. I don't, I don't see what's, how this could possibly turn out well for any of us. It was an issue with what he saw and more so what he didn't see. And man, we're gonna have that. It, it's, it's great for us to resolve to follow God, but we are gonna have those oh no moments where we're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Oh no, what am I supposed to do? What am I going to do? How is this possibly gonna turn out? Because all we can see is the oh no. We can't see what God is actually doing. And we, we would hope in our heart and our mind, we could say, okay, I, I believe that he's there. I believe that he's working for me. I believe that he's fighting for me, but I can't see it. Oh no, what am I gonna do? And what I want you to see is what Elisha tells him. And thank goodness Elisha was there. If it wasn't for Elisha, who knows what this servant is gonna to continue to think. See, the servant wasn't able to get to the open-eyed moment without Elisha. Let that sink in. The servant wasn't able to see God's presence, able to see God's army without Elisha helping him get there. He needed someone else around him. We cannot do this on our own. We have to have people around us that can help us see God, see that he's fighting for, see that he's there, see what he's doing behind the scenes. We gotta have other people. Just like Elisha prayed that his eyes would be open, that would be my prayer for you, that your eyes would be open to the people around you, that your eyes would be open to the people that God has placed around you, the Elishas that he has said, Ryan, this is, this, this is for you, because you're not gonna always see it. I've gotta have people in my life, just like you gotta have people in your life to help us see. Open your eyes to the people that are around you. And when we start to see the people that are around us, we recognize, man, we, we have to have them with us. And so we tend to think, hey, church is a great place for that. That church would be, okay, I need people in my life. I'm gonna open the eyes uh, uh, to the people around me. Sean, I'm gonna borrow you for this part. Come on up and grab a couple of chairs. And so we show up to church and we, we take a seat in the, your seats are a lot comfortable than what I'm about to use up here, by the way. We know that. And uh, what happens is we're hoping to find that kind of fulfillment and relationship at church. And, and although we would hope that would be the case, it's very difficult. And here's why. When you walk into church, you sit in a row of seats. And by the way, my Bible gets its own seat. Um, for men, we know why. Ladies, I'm going to teach you something about your husband. You may or may not know. Men need what's called a buffer seat. Are you aware of this? Sean, you're aware of this, right? Aware of this. Very much aware of this. Very so we have what's called the buffer seat. So if you ever see me put my Bible on my chair, it's not because I think the Holy Spirit needs to sit next to me. It's because I don't want anybody else sitting right next to me. You're welcome to have a seat down from me, but, but we like that. We, we like to have the buffer seat. And so you sit in and, and we get down and, and, and you're all doing this. I can see the buffer seats all throughout all of you right now. <laughs> Everybody's looking around. They started looking around. They, they start, did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I said move in and nobody did. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it is more of this side-to-side -side relationship, which is what we get on a Sunday morning service. You slide into a row, you take up a seat, you put your Bible down so nobody sits there, and, and we, try to, we try to have conversations. We try to have community like this, and it doesn't work because our, our relationship goes only to the depth of... How's it going, Sean? Good. You? I'm doing all right. Enjoying music? It's all right better last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You enjoying service so far? Yeah. Yeah. You 
want me to do anything different? Mm. Well, I'll just I'll wrap it up after this, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what to talk about, do you? <laughs> it's just kind of you're there, you say, hi, I'm good. How are you? Good, good week, sure. Which I will say, I learned something about you this last week. You were on a first name basis with Michael W. Smith. I did learn that. Yeah. But can I call him Michael? You may be in trouble. You may need to refer to him as Mr. Smith. <laughs> Mr. Smith. Yeah, Mr. Smith. That's great. Well, and here's what happens at the end of service, right? After you have this wonderful dialogue with the people sitting around you, what happens is after, you know, the, mu the great music and the great message, I say, hey, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. And then what happens in those seats is, see you later. All right. Have a good one. <laughs> and you're out. And you're out. I mean, that, I mean, it's great to say hi to people, but this is not community. This is not a relationship. There's, there's really not much to do with this. There's not great conversation. But look at what happens. If we make just a small, a small tweak, and instead of going from this side-to-side, shoulder-to-shoulder uh, relationship and environment, if we circle the chairs up, all of a sudden, it's not just side-to-side, -side and I'm focused here, but kind of looking over here. Now it's like, Sean and I are looking each other in the eye, and we're, we're knee to knee. And automatically, just because of the dynamic, it's changed. This relationship has changed from just side to side to now we're, we're face to face. And so I can look at Sean and say, Sean, what's going on, man? Man, man dude, our family, we're trying some new things. It's been tough, but we're trying, man, to just keep praying for us. Like, we're really, you know, working on some things. So Yeah, no, I get that. How, how's everything going with you, Becky and the kids? And uh, Yep. Can you mute me for this for a second, Tim? I need to <laughs> unload. No, seriously, I mean, it's been super tough. Like, we love having all of our kids. And um, I know when we were, we were expecting our third, Collins, yeah, yeah. you know, a lot of people that have like three or four or some other ungodly amount of kids, they, <laughs> they looked at us and said, Brian, you're going to do great because, you know, three is just like two. Seriously, unmute me for this next part. Just, just, another, just add another, right? Yeah, that's what they say. Oh, it's just like add another. And I mean, maybe we're the, the odd people, but I mean, it's been hard. And then even like as a dad and, and as a husband, I'm trying to figure out how do I like give Becky a break and, and love on mm. Collins. But I've got Connor, who's my four-year-old, who's like dying for my attention. And I don't want to neglect him because he's getting older and mm. he's starting to go to school and all this stuff. And then the poor middle child. I mean, any middle, middle child's. I'm trying to make sure my middle child's not the middle child. I mean, and it's hard. It's hard. And, and so I feel like I'm just pulled and everything else. And so, I mean, I mean, to be quite honest, I mean, Becky and I are kind of drained. We're kind of getting exhausted. We love it. But, man, the adjustment's been rough, dude. Yeah, well, man, look, let me tell you, dude, I have three girls of my own, you know, and I've been doing it for a little bit. And you're, I'm gonna, you're, you look good for having three kids. <sighs> well, you, you haven't seen me take my hat off. Man, all of my hair is <laughs> But man, yes, so we we have our three girls, man, and I understand, you know, just trying to find yeah. and maintain that healthy balance for your family. You know, we walk through that, the good, bad, and the ugly, man. So, I want to be here for you. you I know, appreciate not that. just to pray for you, but you know, if you guys ever need anything, you, Becky, the kids, let us know. We want to be there for you. Yeah, thanks, man. Can you babysit tonight? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's what that's what this does. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it, man. That's that's the difference between circles and just lines. That's that's why we have to make sure. And you're gonna have the people that you just sit next to. You're gonna have the people that you work with. You're gonna have the people that you just live next to. But out of everybody in your life, it is vital if you're gonna truly resolve to follow God. It is vital that you have some people, at least one person, that you can circle up with. Take your worship guide for me, which you got when you came in this morning, and there's a pen right next to you. I want you to just draw a big circle. 
just one big circle right there in the middle. On the back, you can do some notes or find some other doodle paper or something. Just one big circle. And I want you to start thinking, who is in your life? We said, God, open our eyes to the people around us. Who is in your life that you could potentially circle up with? We have to have people to circle up with. Sitting at the 11 o'clock worship service, you will most certainly get a lot out of it, and by all means, keep doing that. But don't expect that to give you this. There has to be something else outside of this. In church world, we call it small groups, but I'm telling you, that's not the end all. Because of a family with three young kids, I mean, life groups are hard to get to and to manage. I mean, it's very difficult. So I'm not saying you've got to find a life group. If that's what you're looking for, then by all means, it's why we offer life groups here. Get in a group. It's why we have service teams. So you're not just working to a task, but you get to circle up with people that you have something in common with, something where you have a passion for. You're talented in the same way. That's why we offer newcomers lunch. It's why we have campus nights. But don't expect those to fit everything and everybody. Who has God placed around you and who can you begin to circle up with? That's the kind of a relationship that we see Elisha and his servant have. It's not just a, how's it going? Good, how are you? Fine. It's, an, it's a relationship where they can circle up and be eye to eye and Elisha has permission to speak into his servant's life. Here's, here's the scenario if we've missed it. Verse 15 says, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Who do you go to when you feel surrounded? Who do you go to when you just feel like, man, I'm in trouble? He says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? He says, I need you. I don't know what to do here. What in the world are we gonna do? But whatever we do, let's do it together. I want you to notice three things that Elisha says to his servant that happens in this kind of a dynamic. Three things that Elisha says to his servant that only can happen when you circle up versus just being side to side with somebody. Three things. The first one, he says in verse 16, don't be, what was it? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Don't be afraid. Servant comes out, sees the problem, says, oh no, what shall we do? The first thing that Elisha says is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He immediately speaks truth into his servant's life. Don't be afraid. Now, this could have gone a very different direction. Elisha stayed grounded in the truth that he was giving his servant. What if Elisha hears from the servant, oh no, what are we gonna do? And Elisha, instead of saying, don't be afraid, freaks out. He says, I don't know, let's panic. What's the servant gonna do? Panic with his arms like this. He's gonna panic, he's gonna freak out, but Elisha keeps him grounded. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In this dynamic of having people you circle up with, you can speak truth into one another's life. When you're sitting in a seat side to side with one another, when you have a relationship that's just that acquaintance, that's just, uh, you're just nice to one another, you don't have permission to speak truth into anybody's life. If they start speaking truth to you, you just move a seat over. You get two buffer seats instead of one, and you don't have to listen to them anymore. But when you circle up and you're eye to eye and knee to knee, you've said, Speak truth into me. You gotta have people that you circle up with that are truth tellers. You gotta have truth tellers in your life. And it's not everybody. And then you'll just be bombarded. You've gotta have a group of people or at least one that you'll circle up with and they have permission to speak truth in your life. And this is not just that you have something in your teeth kind of truth person. This is the person I heard somebody talking about. They say, DBD, don't be dumb. You need somebody that can sit across from you and say, don't be dumb. Don't, don't allow somebody 
to, to take you off track. It's got to be within God's word, but something that will speak God's word and God's truth to you and tell you the way it is. Here, the servant begins to freak out, and he says, don't be afraid. You have nothing to be afraid of. Circle up with truth tellers. First thing Elisha said with his, his servant, and it's the first thing that happens when you have a circle of people that you're able to be together with. Then the latter part of that same verse, he says, don't be afraid, but he actually backs it up. He backs it up and says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those that are with us, here's why you don't need to be afraid, servant. Those that are with us are so much more than those that are with them. Basically, Elisha knows something that his servant does not. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Elisha knows something that his servant is clueless about. Elisha sees something that his servant doesn't see. And so it's not just don't be afraid. It's don't be afraid because here's what's reality. Here's the experience. Now, what's interesting about Elisha, if you were to go back a few chapters around chapter one, chapter two, you would see these roles reversed. You would see Elisha is actually the servant to Elijah. I know they sound very similar to totally different people, both prophets. So you have Elijah as the master and Elisha as the servant. And Elisha is still in this, well, what's going to happen? What's, gonna, what's going on? He doesn't see everything. And then through his time with Elijah, God opens his eyes and Elisha actually sees all sorts of incredible things from God. So now later on down the road, his servant is having a hard time seeing. And Elisha is able to say, hey, I've been there. And I've been there, I've done that. I know exactly what you're feeling. I know what you're missing. That's called wisdom. You know, wisdom comes from God and God gives us wisdom through our experiences, through our lessons, through how we grow, how we fail, how we learn, how we succeed. And so you've got to have somebody that not just circles up with you as a truth teller, but you need to circle up with the wise. Don't have the blind leading the blind. Don't have somebody that's running out of gas. Say, I'll pick you up and take you to the gas station. You got to have somebody that's a little further down the line than you. You got to have somebody that has been there, that has done that, that their faith has been a little bit further down. Circle up with the wise and let them teach you. Let them guide you. Let them speak into your life. Let them give you their experiences. Elisha told him the truth. It was a truth teller, said, don't be afraid, but then said, I've been there. Let me, let me help you see what you're missing. Let me, let me give you some insight into what you don't know. Circle up with the wise. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools <laughs> suffers harm. When you circle up with people that are truth tellers and people that are wise, we become wise just by being in the same circle with them because their experiences begin to teach us. Their wisdom becomes, starts to rub off on us. And as we invite them into our life, into that circle of friends for us, that community, then it helps us get through the oh no's, what shall we do? So Elisha said two things that happen in a, a circle up kind of a relationship, a circle up community, tells him the truth, speaks truth into his life, and has the experience, has the wisdom. Verse 17, here's the third thing that Elisha said that happens as we circle up. It says, and Elisha prayed. I want you to underline prayed. I might tell you something new about prayer today. Elisha prayed. Here's the prayer. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Now, up until this point, Elisha is talking directly to who? Who's he talking to? His servant. He says, don't be afraid. You don't see what I see. You don't know what, what I know. Here's the reality. Servant can't see the reality, so he tells him the reality. And then he switches, and now who is Elisha talking to? God. He says, don't be afraid, because God's got it covered. And then he prays to God. 
in front of his servant. He says, God, would you open up his eyes? Would you help him see? Now that word prayer, there, I mean, there's a lot of, we, we pretty much understand the idea of prayer. We talk to God, we listen to God, we kind of get that. But the literal word there means intervene. Elisha intervened for his servant. He went to God on his behalf. And here's where it's very difficult. We don't like people intervening in our life. That's usually why we just stay side to side. We'll say hi, we'll say bye, and that's it. When you circle up, all of a sudden, you're inviting and giving permission to somebody to not just speak truth, to give wisdom, but to intervene, to go to God on your behalf. Say, I know you don't see this. I'm gonna help you see it. I know you don't know what to do. I'm gonna help you know what to do. And that goes beyond just advice. That's them living their life in a way through you, helping you find that more life change that Jesus talks about. Elisha intervened. He intervened. Now, you can't allow that with every single person you come in contact with. The point is not to everybody you meet to be part of your circle up community, but you got to have some. And I recognize that there's levels of relationships. There's levels of how intimate we will allow ourselves and invite others in. You start out with acquaintance, right? These are the people that you pass by. These are the people that you see at work or maybe walking around the neighborhood. You just know of them. You probably know their first name. If not, you say, hey, man good to see you again. <laughs> well, gotta go. That's acquaintance. That's acquaintance, right? You don't allow them to intervene in your life. You don't let them speak truth. You don't really care about their experience. Then you have buddies. These are people, you probably, you definitely know their name. You know a little bit about their family. You, you get to know them a little bit more. You share some things. You probably have a common interest. You like to do the same thing. You're around the same people. So you're, you're buddies, you're pals, uh, but it really doesn't go beyond that. Then you start to get to, to friends, and I know there's a wide range of what you would call a friend and levels of friends, but basically a friend is somebody that you will spend additional time with. You'll make an effort to be with them. You wanna know genuinely how they're doing, what's going on in your life. You, you might not feel like you can speak into it, but you at least care enough to ask an honest question and to be prepared for an honest response. You start to spend time outside of just an acquaintance or a buddy environment. But then there's another level, and I would call that family. And know that I'm, I'm, it's, there's an R in there. It's not friend. It's not family. Say family. Family. It's fun to say, isn't it? So family. Here's what family is. Family is family away from family. And that's what Becky and I have, have relied on anywhere that we've been in our marriage. All of our family's up in the Midwest. And so when we lived in California for eight years and now down in Georgia, we don't have family here, which means we need family more than ever. We need people that are basically family. We need families that, that are willing to get, let us call them when we go into labor and they have to come over to our house at like two in the morning. We need people like that. We need people that I can sit eye to eye with and, and unload. Man, here's where I'm struggling. I'm a pastor. I'm far from perfect. I didn't know if you knew that or not. So I need this. And I don't do that with everybody, but I need, I need people that I would say, man, you're, you're family for me. You're family for, for my wife, for my kids. We have to have that. And so as you look, and it's, trust me, it is always easier to just stick with the acquaintances. They never hurt you and you don't care what they say. Soon as you go all the way over and you begin to circle up with people that you would say, man, you're, you're my family. You're inviting them in to speak, not just into your life, but to intervene in your life. And you might not like what they say. There's a potential for being hurt. There's a potential for betrayal. It's risky circling up with people that you would say is family. However, I'm telling you, we can't do this 
without this, without being circled up with at least one, if not a handful of individuals, individual families, couples, whoever you would say, this is who, this is who God has placed around me. And I have to be circled up with people. Here's what Ecclesiastes says in regards to this. Two people, why is this person wrote this, by the way? It says, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in what? Is it up there? Here, wait for it. Real trouble. In other words, if you don't have this, what are you in? Real trouble. Because we are all gonna have the, oh no, what are we gonna do? And if you don't have a group you're circled up with, we are, as scripture says, we are in real trouble. It says, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. If we're gonna resolve to follow God, we have to resolve to circle up. You gotta circle up with a handful of people and say, you know what, it's not just acquaintance, it's not just buddy, it's not just friend, we're family. And I want you to speak truth into my life. I want you to speak your experience and wisdom into my life. I want you to intervene, not just pray for me, but I want you to intervene in my life and help me where I can't see. Open my eyes, help me to see. Remember, the servant didn't get to open eyes without Elisha. Elisha, help, Elisha helped him get there. Resolve to circle up. So I asked you to draw a circle. If you resolve to circle up, I hope you start thinking of who are these people around you in your circle? Who are you willing to circle up with? And it's difficult. It's awkward. It's weird. It's, it is a different dynamic to, to begin this in any environment, whether it's a life group at church, whether it's a, a group of guys you play basketball with, whether it's a group of moms that you're on the playground with, with your kids. You can circle up with anyone anywhere. Who are they? And are you willing to start making the effort to resolve to follow God, but also resolving to not do it alone? To resolve to circle up with people around you. Uh, this last Christmas, I was given a gift, and he actually goes to Mountain Lake. He was here at first service, and he gave me this, this photograph. He took this photograph. It is a photograph um, that's taken uh, of, of Denali up in Alaska, tallest peak in all of North America, Denali National Park, and um, they hike a lot, and they see a lot, and he's obviously an incredible photographer, so he gave me this, this print of his photograph of Denali, and I've never been there before. And I mean, I know of it. I mean, I, I recognize the name and uh, even the photograph looked vaguely familiar. If you Googled Denali, you'll see something similar. But he began to tell me all about it. I was like, well, what was it like? And where were you at? How'd you get there? And, and he told me some interesting things about his specific photograph. First of all, this is not just Denali, but it is the North Face of Denali. And he said, that's really significant, Brian, because out of all the people that go and visit Denali National Park, only about 20% will ever with their own eyes see the North Face. He said, because of the weather systems, and it's a tough hike to get up there, and it's just difficult. So a lot of people just see the other sides of the, of the mountain, and then they say, that was great, and they go home. He said, but we wanted to see the North Face, so they did what was necessary to get up to see the North Face. I said, that's awesome. And he started talking about this lake here. This is, this is the Wonder Lake. And out of everybody that with their own eyes would have seen the north face of Denali, he said, out of all those people, just a fraction, about 15% or less people will actually do what's necessary to keep going and get to Wonder Lake. I'm like, man, that's incredible. And I look at this, and, and of course, it's, it is a breathtaking photograph. But as you know, a picture doesn't do justice. 
and the difference between myself and Jim, Jim who hiked it and took the photograph, is he's experienced what very few, which a fraction of the American population have ever experienced. We can see it, and we can see its beauty, and we can marvel at how wonderful it is, but I've never experienced it. My hope and my prayer is that you would not be content just seeing a great picture of community, to just hear about my stories of being part of a life group and hear, hear how, how thankful my family is because we have family here in Dawsonville, Georgia. To not just be content hearing a story out of scripture of two men that circled up to see God do some incredible things. My hope and my prayer is that you would not be content just seeing a beautiful photograph, but you would say, I want to experience that. I wanna know what it's like. I don't wanna just see it, I wanna live it. And I don't have any other way to explain it other than once you find a group of people to circle up with, you will not be the same. You will experience love and joy like no other. And the only way for you to really know that is for you to experience it. And yes, it's hard, and yes, it's difficult, and yes, it's awkward, and yes, it's risky, but the payoff is just unbelievable. I asked Jim, I was like, hey, would you hike up to do that again? He said, in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. Once you experience the community that God has called us to experience, you'll never be the same. And every time you hit the, oh no, what shall I do? you will have a circle of people who say, let me speak truth into you. Let me tell you why it's gonna be okay. Let me intervene for you. It's my hope and my prayer for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for, for the community called the church that you give us, but it's not just about a Sunday morning worship service from 11 to 12. It's about the community we have outside of this. And God, we are, we are wired to be with people, but it's also difficult to dig in this deep. We want it, but we, always, we don't necessarily want to pay the cost. We desire it, but we don't necessarily want to do what it takes. So God, I would pray that your Holy Spirit would just move in each of our hearts and push us and move us to circle up, to not be content with the acquaintances, to not be content with the buddies or even the friends, but to find a, a few people that we would say they're family. And they're the ones that are gonna walk us through the onos and the how do I's and the what do I do nows. Jesus, you came to save us and that is something that only you can do. Thank you for our relationship, but thank you for not asking us to walk through this alone, but you gave us this body, your family, the bride of you. May we have a circled up relationship with one another so that we can better follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen.